0: Whatever you are, whatever you're doing, stay with us as the sun's gets set to shine. Mary, the Garher, here's the jump shot. Jump to Marley, a long three. He got him! He got him! Into Booker. Here's the three. Tuesday. in! Sir
1: Charles. And he flies in for a wham, bam, time. Welcome to 7 Seconds or Less, a podcast about the Phoenix Suns and the NBA. My name is Max McCauley and I am joined
0: as always by my co-host. His name is David Nash. David, how's it going, dude? It's going well. Always good to be back with you, Max. Apologies to the listeners for making them wait a little bit, but we've got a bit to get through today. We're basically at the... 3rd of the season, Mark, I think. So a good time for us to review a little bit and maybe preview a little bit as well, Max.
1: Yeah, real life has gotten in the way a little bit uh, with our recording schedule, so we do apologize for missing last week. We're going to try to make it up for you by doing something a little more comprehensive this week. We know the team hasn't been super fun to watch lately, <laughs> so uh, rather than focus on the uh, games that just happened, although we will talk about that in the leaderboard... We are going to focus more on whether we think the Suns, when they finally return to strength, which they have been unable to uh, to get there at any point in the first <laughs> game, David, uh, we'll see how they look uh, going forward.
0: Yeah, it's a difficult one, and maybe we'll never see it. That's kind of the, mm. the dreaded feeling that everyone's getting at the moment as they announce uh, Ricky Rubio possibly out tonight. We're recording this one before the Houston game for the listeners, so... Uh, yeah, we may never get there, but hopefully they get uh, some of the main pieces back, which I think will be the, the main takeaway from this discussion, Max.
1: Yeah, at least they have Booker back now. It was, uh, it's a rough watch whenever he doesn't play. but uh, how about, uh...
0: Yeah, and off, off the injury report too, which yes. maybe they just didn't want to put him on and really depress fans, but uh, off the injury report for that uh, wrist contusion, they were calling it. So that'll be uh, one to track, but hopefully all good with him now.
1: Maybe they ran out of room in the report. There's just no physical space to
0: put them. <laughs> no more paper.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, enough complaining about injuries, David. How about you uh, recap what's been happening lately before we get into our leaderboard and then the rest of the show.
0: The Phoenix Suns are 11-17 and 17 after 28 games max, a.k.a. one-third of the season done, as I said. There's been a bit of news about, as we said, Aiton came back for one game before that ankle sprain. Uh, Booker, as we said, missed three games in the last week or so with that forearm contusion. Uh, the Suns went to Mexico, of course, and as we said, that very long injury report. Cam, Rubio, Tyler, Frank, and Dario Saric all spent some time on the injury report over the last week or so, which is not great. But last week that we missed, I'll just run over very quickly, We the last win we had, Minnesota, 125-109. to then we lost to Memphis, 108-115. The Spurs, 119 to 121 in Mexico. That was a bit of a heartbreaker. Uh, but onto this week, the loss to Portland, another heartbreaker, 110 to 111. Max Ubre had 24 in that one. Rubio had 10 and 14. The loss to the Clippers, was happy to kind of just write that one off. Uh, you know, Ayton's return. He had 18, 12, and three with one block, I think. Uh, and Ubre had 19. And then the real disappointing one, as you mentioned up the top there, OKC 108-126. Rubio had 24-8. Booker had 18 points max. So we're now fourth in the division. Six games ahead of Golden State and one game back of the Kings. 11th in the conference we've fallen to. Half a game above Minnesota and half a game behind the Spurs. And all the way down to 20th in the NBA max half a game above the Detroit Pistons and half a game below the Spurs. But after game one and the DA suspension here, you know, would you have taken this record at the start of the year? I keep asking you that, Max, but 11 and 17, it looks a bit depressing right now. But uh, yeah, it's an interesting one. What, what are your thoughts?
1: Knowing everything that has happened, I would take it. Um, but previously, I would have taken it even without knowing what has happened. Now, I think that if you would have told me this was the record. Uh, without me knowing anything, I'd have been a little
0: disappointed about it. Yeah, that's that's the thing, you know, and you kind of have to remind yourself sometimes is I think we all would have taken it, particularly I think most people noted that the, the schedule to start the season was going to be pretty tough and yeah. we weren't sure where we were going to get some of our wins from. Of course, I was thinking about it just earlier this morning, got some wins against, you know, Philly was a big one. Uh, that Brooklyn game, I think, was another big one. So all of our hopes kind of changed a little bit and our expectations too, Max.
1: Yeah, no, a lot of this is coming because we're having some really bad luck in close games. Uh, our scoring margin still has us in the playoffs, I believe. I think we're eighth in scoring margin. Mm-hmm. so Or maybe not. We're something like that. So, you know, it's only minus 0.3, so it's almost neutral. I mean, these games like the Portland game and the San Antonio game, those are just heartbreakers, man.
0: Like, they could have won both those games fairly easily. Yeah, and that kind of changes the course a little bit. And as we'll get into a little bit later, the, the bottom of the playoffs in the West is is still wide open, which is why it's not all totally doom and gloom, even sitting at 11 and 17 right now.
1: Yeah, no, it's not. So we're going to talk a little bit here about, uh, you know, how it can get, you know, maybe even better. Actually, uh, Dave, what do you want? you want to do leaderboard first or you want to go into our, uh, our our preview of the season
0: coming up here? Let's get the leaderboard out of the way for the listeners. We don't have to spend too much time on that one uh, this week, I don't think. Uh, so let's jump into that, Max.
1: Okay, I'll start off with uh, my five-star player. It was kind of hard this week. I went with Ubre. Uh, the most consistent throughout the week. He had a couple big shots, and some of those things should have won us uh, the game in Portland. So I went with him. What'd you do?
0: I went with Dario, Okay, shot 55%, 46 from three, and didn't miss from the free throw line. I was watching him specifically this week, so maybe a little bit biased there, but I just think he had a really underrated week and is slowly picking up, which is a a positive sign from the Suns this week.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I think he was really good this week. I don't have him four-star. I'll have him three-star, just to to spoil. I had had Rubio four. Uh, He had a pretty bad game. I think he was into Clippers. But uh, overall, he's been—you know—he's been really good. He's been our best player without Booker for the most part, so I think he uh, deserves mention as a
0: four-star. Yeah, another 13 and 10 week from Rubio, uh, and we agree on that one, and therefore agree on the flipping of the five and three stars because I gave it to Ubre, Uh and he was the points leader for the week, and I'll double down on everything you said for him previously, Max. Yeah, I might be
1: biased having him five
0: star uh, this week because he's the only thing I've enjoyed this week.
1: <laughs> so that might be what's doing it to me. But everyone's uh, go- got
0: their own criteria. <laughs>
1: exactly right. Uh, I'll go to my two star. I went with uh Kobo actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, it's kind of like a shout out to I you know to Monty to play him more. I think he just deserves more. He's been one of our more consistent guys lately. Uh, he's showing a lot that I like to see uh, from young guards. He's getting a lot uh, more paced. I would say. Yep. He seems in more control. So uh, I went with him. David, what you do?
0: I've thrown two guys that only played one game each here at two and one, and that kind of speaks to mm. how hard it was to to get these votes at the end of the leaderboard. So uh, I'm giving Aiton a shout-out for his 18-12 one game and giving him two stars and giving one star to Devin Booker, even though he only played one game. Uh, and only had 18 points in that game, I still think it it just says a lot about this week that there was not many options at the bottom of the leaderboard here, Max.
1: Yeah, I started with this one, too. I ended up going Booker, mm-hmm. uh, like you, with one star. Uh, Aiton, and maybe this is a good transition into what we what we saw from Aiton mm-hmm. when he got back and what we expect from him going forward. Uh, I didn't have him on my list, largely because I don't think he was really that good in the Clippers game. I know he had a gaudy you know, counting stat line, but he took 19 shots, uh, if your big is taking 19 shots to get 18 points, that's kind of a problem. <laughs> yep. Uh, he, he's not. You know, he's just not going to be able to score efficiently if he keeps up this thing where he flings the ball at the rim every single time he catches it in the mid-range, which is what Zach Lowe was humorously saying on his podcast this week. <laughs> like, he's ever seen a player who just, just so quickly would just throw the ball at the rim as soon as he gets it in mid-range. Yep. Uh, he's got us on attacking uh, one free-throw attempt he had in this game, which was his first free-throw attempt of the season, including preseason. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, he, and he missed it. But, you know, I think he's going to be a fine free-throw shooter. I'm not worried about him missing it. I'm more worried about him not getting there. Yeah. Uh, and then the three-point shooting. I mean, he's not doing that. We're, we've been teased with it a little bit uh he even teased us by kind of making like a setback move a little bit it looked like he was going to go for a three uh it didn't happen uh I think we're gonna have to see you know at least one of those hopefully both those things happen whether it's drawing free throws or shooting threes or he's just not going to be uh an efficient scorer either.
0: yeah I-, I totally agree before we jump fully into that I'll just remind the listeners that we're talking about the Portland Clippers and OKC Thunder games for their votes that they submit this week and if they missed week eight and still want to send those through as well more than happy to accept those from everyone but yeah let's jump more into DeAndre Ayton now I think Max and and discuss a little bit more of what you're saying you know the first question I did have for you is you know what did we see different from the Kings game to the Clippers game which is really the only two uh, data points we've got to go off right now with DeAndre Ayton so you know, I, I think you made the points pretty clear there, but it was it was night and day those two games against each other, Max.
1: Yeah, I think Aiton came out pretty rusty. Uh, he was forcing it early, I thought, in this game. I think Sacramento, he was a little more in the feel of the game and such, which makes sense. He was playing games, you know, in preseason stuff before that. Yeah. Uh, I think we're going to see better Aiton, and he even got progressively better throughout the game. I thought, mm-hmm. uh, especially in the second quarter, that was quite good, and in the third quarter as well. Uh, offensive rebounding, I like to see some of his activity on the glass. Um, defensively I thought he was pretty poor I think that was probably my least favorite part of the way he looked he just wasn't as engaged as he was in the Sacramento game yeah for example look a, a little more like last season DeAndre uh, so I don't know what do you think I've, I've said a lot about it so far what do you th- you had him two stars so you must have seen a little more from him
0: yeah I was encouraged by the performance you know I I, I think I agree with a lot of what you're saying there's definitely some red flags there but I don't want to judge him too much on on one game back interestingly this ankle sprain that's keeping him out. Uh, his best minutes kind of came after the ankle sprain, as you said, <laughs> in, in the third quarter there, before they eventually took him out and then he didn't come back because, you know, maybe he couldn't or maybe the game was just too far gone by then. So they decided not to risk him anyway. But, you know, I thought he was a little bit more aggressive. Certainly helps when the mid range shot's actually going down rather than clanking out. It, it kind of gets a little bit grating after a while when that's all he's taking. Mm. You know, I tried to highlight after the game, he had a couple of decent post moves. Uh, against Montrez Harrell, uh, interestingly with the free throw stuff. And, you know, I, I don't think this is an excuse at all, but he turned to the ref and, and thought he should have got a foul on a bucket that he got on Montrezl Harrell. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I've kind of noticed when he doesn't get that first foul, that's when he kind of goes away from it. But you want him to be doubling down at that point and, and really putting pressure on the referee to, to call fouls. It's almost like the first time he doesn't get one, then he just kind of goes, oh, what's the point? I'll just take mid-range instead.
1: Yeah, he shies away from contact kind of naturally. Yeah. Uh, He's one of those people who doesn't like to draw contact. So I think that refs, they're going to have a hard time. uh, Because NBA players like to emphasize contact, and they like to be dramatic and stuff. Booker's gotten better at that (laughs) uh, over the years, even though he doesn't really get the calls that a lot of guys get, but that's another story. Uh, Aiton doesn't do that. Uh, Aiton does not emphasize contact. Aiton does not try to get fouled, which in some ways is honorable. I know we all kind of get annoyed at the chicken shit players do. Mm -hmm. Uh, Aiton doesn't do any of that, but at the same time, if you're not getting to the line, like, that's the most efficient way to score. That's why uh, Joel Embiid in his rookie season when he played like 30 games was like the most efficient big man ever because yep. he was just drawing fouls left and right. Like it's just, it, that's how you score efficiently. That's how you get those point totals up without having to take 19 shots. And uh, I, I think that's, well, uh, even more so than three-point shooting, that's what uh, we got to see from him in offense is more attacking because it's just not going to work in the modern NBA to play the way he's playing.
0: Yeah, I put out the 5-4 uh, Three, two, one theory or question during the week about eight and and five was free throw attempts and uh you know I, I think that's a lot for him to average from where he's come from but mm-hmm. you want to see it in certain games you want to see him you know go to the line multiple times um you know four I think in that scenario was assists I was really encouraged by his passing actually yeah I think that's really. always been a good thing that we've we've noted about eight and you know he had three assists but he also had a number of other uh, great passes out of the post. Um, you know, he just pings the ball. He, he's he got great vision and, and he really hits guys in their pocket as well. I think he hit Dario Saric with one out of the post um, that I think he eventually got a putback from. But, you know, even Dario was surprised how quickly it hit him in his hands in, in his shooting pocket. So I think that's something we can definitely watch from him and, and something that can open up on this team. You know, we noted before Aaron Baines jumped his assists up just in this system. So we might see more, more assists from DeAndre as well. Uh, three offensive boards, uh, as someone pointed out, that's what he already averaged last year. So we probably should expect that from him, but uh, hasn't been a huge emphasis from the scheme from what I've seen with and out. So it'll be interesting whether they lean back into that. You know, two blocks per game would be nice. I think, as you said, he was a little bit disappointing. Uh, just from an engagement perspective, you know, we said it after the Kings game, Uh, You know, no surprise that he had three blocks in that game because he was super, super engaged. Whereas in this Clippers one, he had a couple of those low light plays. You know, I think there was one where Beverly took Rubio to the rim and, and Rubio just expected Aiton to at least come across and help. And he's too busy kind of watching his own man. So hopefully that changes a little bit as well. And then you noted it before, you know, I think most fans want to see him shoot a three if it's in the flow of the offense. And he had a couple of, really clear opportunities, particularly after some good screens where you'd like to see him let it fly a little bit, even as someone who hasn't really wanted him to do that in the past. I think it's something that he definitely has to do if they're leaving him wide open out there. I next.
1: love the point you made about his passing. I'd actually kind of forgotten that he was really good in the Clippers game, I thought, as a passer. As you mentioned, mostly in the post, kicking out to open shooters. I like seeing that from him. Mm-hmm. Uh, the three-point thing, so the thing about it, it's just math, man. I know people are tired of hearing this, but if you shoot 45% on twos, that's, that's equivalent to shooting 30% on threes. You know, it's just
0: it's just easier to score more efficiently. Yeah, I think uh, our, our friend Dom on Twitter pointed that out. He would only have to shoot, I think, 26% at the moment from three to match the efficiency uh, that he's currently doing from mid-range with all those shots that we're seeing him take. So, yeah, it, it's a pretty low bar to to start hitting some of those threes at a 26% clip. Uh, to match the math, as you said, Max.
1: And like you said, like it's—we're not asking him to take seven or eight threes a game. It, for me, it's more just taking them when he's wide open, like you said. So you at least keep the defense honest. Yeah. It, it really kills you when someone's not guarding you out there. Um, it's you know, unless you're really, really beastly inside as a center, you're kind of attracting on offense if that's the case. Yeah. Uh, one thing I do want to say um, to give him sort of some, some, you know, some lax. Is uh, Devin Booker didn't play in the game, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I think that matters a lot for the offense in general. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's a hot take, I guess. That <laughs> <laughs> Booker matters. But uh, particularly for Ayton, because I think uh, Rubio is great at finding him. But I think when uh, Booker and Aiton run the pick and roll together, the threat of Booker's shot is going to open up uh, Ayton's rolls to the basket better than Rubio can. Um, So I think it's going to be interesting. I I said after the first game against Sacramento that the thing I was most excited about from the game was the Aiton Booker pick and roll. Yeah. And uh, we didn't get to see it. We actually, you know, we honestly haven't seen it since that game. So I'm hoping that once Aiton returns, Aiton Booker's still playing and we can finally see those guys uh, get some chemistry going together.
0: Yeah, it's a good point. Kind of the worst possible situation from Aiton Mm -hmm. to come back for his first game with with Booker going out. So I think that's definitely a, a point worth making. Before I jump into, I guess, a great segue on that point in terms of the flow on effect of Aiton. you know I kind of asked you in the week the the likelihood of those 54321 stats but you know we've kind of touched on it here but just to round that conversation out max what's the most important out of those 54321 is it the free throws is it the three point attempts you know is it the assists what what are you kind of, what are the one or two things that in terms of impact you know we get criticized a, a fair bit about you know our what I think is fair criticism of DeAndre Ayton, but you know I I don't want to just count the double doubles this season. Like I need the reason I frame these five, four, three, two, one is because they're things that I think people should be looking for in terms of his actual impact from game to game. And it might be different, you know, different uh, counting stats every game. It doesn't need to be these same averages, but. For you, what what are you looking on a nightly basis with Aiton for him to improve on?
1: It's blocks for me. Yep. I might even th- throw in seals too. It's really just overall engagement and activity on defense and the best measuring stick for a center in that uh, regard is blocks. Yep. So that's what I would say. I mean, you know, it's really important that your center at least be one of your best defensive players, if not your best defensive player. Uh, and Aiton is not that for us right now. So if he can improve that, it'll... Go uh, go a long way towards him being living up to you know his draft position, uh, and the other thing is the free throws too. Yeah, uh, it's really just overall aggressiveness for me, assertiveness on the floor, and those are the you know the impact stats
0: for that for that for the, to measure that. Yeah, I'd love to see him foul out of a game in the next yes. ten games. You know, I know it, th- that might sound really silly to people, but just come in and, and really have that kind of an impact on the game in terms of his aggressiveness. And yeah, I think you put it very well between the blocks and the free throw attempts. That's where he can really show us that he's, he's ramping up his aggress- aggressiveness, I think, but you know, what is the flow on effect of Aiton to, to round this out? You know, if he does hopefully come back pretty soon and, and bookers in the side as well, and you know, everyone, you know, we may not ever get full health, but you know, as good close to it as possible, you know, who's going to benefit the most here? You know, I think, Position-wise, obviously, Baines, Frank, and Dario all being able to, I guess, go into a more comfortable position that fits their skill set and and their talent, I suppose, is probably the big one. But what about some of the other guys that, I guess, don't play Aiton's position? What what do you think from there, Max?
1: I think it's going to benefit, uh, we're not talking about players who play his position, I think it's going to benefit Devin Booker a lot. Um, Devin Booker is is just able to get those lobs up a lot more than Rubio does a lot of times because he has more of uh, space yep. the way he you know the shoot makes defenders play off him so I think that those two together are gonna have probably the best chemistry of anybody on the team as you know that's obviously the hope but that's kind of how I saw it in the Sacramento game mm-hmm. so I think he'll benefit a lot uh, like you said I think the obvious answer here is Baines right because if Baines plays too many minutes he gets hurt as we've seen not just this year but in previous years <laughs> uh, so the fact that Baines can get into a role that fits him a little bit. Better hopefully he can stay healthy and and return to the form he had uh, earlier this season.
0: Yeah, he really struggled against Stephen Adams last night, and I saw a few people picking him apart a little bit, which I thought was you know a little bit unfair to be thrown back in the starting lineup against uh, you know against a big brute like that. So yeah, I'd love to see you know forty odd games I suppose for Aaron Baines in a in a solid set role of you know fifteen twenty minutes off the bench where he can really settle himself and and have an effect. So yeah, I think you've touched on. The main guy's there, but you know, the flow on effect is pretty large of Ayton coming back into the team, I think, from you know, you can even bring up someone like Kelly Ubre, just those little things that we're hoping to see out of him if he doesn't have to be the number one or two scorer every night. We we can see him locked down a little bit more on defense and things like that as well. So, you know, there are a lot of positives with DeAndre Ayton coming back and what he can do for the whole team, I think, Max.
1: Another uh, candidate I'll say for people who benefit the most from this are Suns fans for not having to watch Frank Kaminsky start at center. <laughs> anymore. Uh, and listen, I, there have been some fights on Twitter over Frank. Over uh, I've been probably overly mean to him because of you know, just how much he can't play starting center in the NBA and how frustrating it is to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does have some offensive ability, obviously. Uh, it's, a little, it's been a little overrated, I think, by certain people. Uh, his free throw shooting is abysmal for, for what he should be shooting. Yep. That's his layup. He can't make a fucking layup for his life. But uh, I think returning to a smaller role, obviously, is going to benefit him. And also, you know, if he's not playing well, you don't have to play him. You know, you can just play Diallo instead or just go with Aiton and, and Baines uh, the whole game. So that, that's always nice. Just having more players to choose from so you can not have to play players who are playing poorly is uh, kind of the overall benefit here we're
0: looking for the most. And that's probably a, a great segue into talking a little bit more about the roster and I guess surprises and, and positives so far versus yep. uh, disappointments and, and some negative contributors, Max.
1: Yeah, so maybe we'll start with a, a surprise positive contributor. I think Okobo leads the list for me, just I didn't think we were going to get anything out of him. Yep. And uh, I actually think he is can underutilized by Monty, and maybe the biggest mistake Monty's made can uh, maybe combined with a negative contributor we're about to get to. But uh yeah, I mean I think Okobo could really stabilize the second unit and he has you know, he makes some plays every once in a while where he gets to the rim or he you know, he kinda of makes a step back. But we were like, wow, Okobo kinda of has some, you know, latent score like high volume score or upside there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm interested to see more from him.
0: Yeah, I mean he was drafted as a you know, combo guard who uh his best game I think in Europe was a, a forty plus point effort in a in a big game. So yep. that's really what put him on people's radars. I guess in terms of uh expectation you know we were talking about him essentially being off the team before the season started we just thought that the uh the writing was on the wall and they were going to move him as soon as possible so if you compare that to some of the things that he's shown in games then yeah he he probably should be top of this list I very much agree with you about the Monty point I'm still very confused by that obviously when you draft a guy like Ty Jerome and are quite high on him uh as soon as he's healthy you want to inject him into the team but it it kind of came at The exact same time that Ali had played, you know, quite a few good games in a row in that backup bench role and then got sat for Ty for no reason other than the fact that Ty was, you know, back and healthy. And, you know, if we look at how well or how not well Ty Jerome has performed so far, that's the biggest head scratcher for me so far from Monty is uh, why Ali got sat. Uh, right in the midst of, of playing quite well, particularly because we know he is such a, a, a confidence player, Max.
1: We can go ahead and jump to that right now, that disappointment. We'll go back to positive after. Yep. But uh, since you brought him up, Ty Jerome, I think, you know, it's pretty obvious it doesn't take an expert to say that he has not played well. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's just it doesn't seem ready yet. I will, I will give him a little bit of slack for the fact that he had some really, you know, in and out misses, from, especially from three a couple times. <laughs> yeah. It's been tough, real tough for him. But, and he also, you know, there's times where he uses that floater and he does get the shot out that it looks nice, but he's just not ready, especially, and this has been the biggest flaw for Monty is he was playing him as the, as the sole creator at times. That's just, he can't be that right now. Not even close. If he's out there, he's got to be the second guard. He's got to be with AkoBo or with Booker or with Rubio. Uh, there, there's no way he can be the, the, the primary uh, option guard out there
0: hundred percent agree. Uh, A a guy we both know very well, Zach Milner uh, on Twitter that uh, does some great draft work and is probably uh, the biggest fan of both the Suns rookies outside of Suns fans, you know, made the great point that he should be playing more running off screens using his shooting ability rather than Mm -hmm. as a a primary ball handler, you know, maybe the Suns, I think James Jones said he was the best uh, decision-making guard in the draft or or something like that. Wasn't it, Max? Um,
1: Yeah. They've,
0: They've obviously got plans for him, but you know I talk about it all the time. Like, what can you use from a guy that's an NBA ready skill to get him on the court and then build those other things over time? Uh, they've they've done it with Cam, yep. uh, and they should be doing it more with Ty. You know, even the OKC game last night, Ty got thrown out there at just a really weird stage of the game where it just didn't make any sense for him to be out there, and lo and behold, he did not play very well at all. So. You know they need to think about that a little bit more. Use his shooting, as you say, uh, and hide him a little bit more on defense instead of throwing him to the wolves as a a point of attack defender and primary ball handler.
1: Yeah, I don't have. I have. I still have a lot of hope for him in the future as somebody who can be your bench primary and also an okay defender if he really, really gets strong. That guy needs to get really strong because he ain't fast. (laughs) Uh, He ain't elusive. He has very little agility compared to NBA guards. So he's just gonna have to be like an Andre Miller bulldog. Uh, and he has the size for it, you know, height-wise. Yep. It's just a matter of whether he can fill out or not. But, you know, that's, talk about the future. That's not right now. He can't do that stuff now. He's got to be, I think, running off screens as a shooter is a great idea for him. Mm-hmm. I also think just having him sit in the corner and, you know, attack closeouts or shoot corner threes makes a lot of sense. Yep. Uh, basically using the way Philly and uh, the Clippers used Landry Shamet last year. and uh, and see how he can play in that role. Uh, David, you want to go to a surprise positive contributor?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'll throw Booker and Rubio together here. You know, they haven't worked out all the kinks, but, Mm. you know, Booker's 25 points per game on 50-40-90. He's still just hovering over those percentages, so hopefully he can keep that up. (laughs) 6.3 assists per game, so you throw that with uh, Rubio's 9.4 assists, and I believe they're the best backcourt in the NBA in terms of sharing the ball around And then Rubio, you know, his assist to turnover ratio, those 9.4 compared to just 2.2 turnovers. You know, there's obviously still some concerns and, as I said, some things that they're trying to work out. But as far as those two meshing together uh, and their overall efficiency on the floor, I think it's probably been uh, a surprise to me. I thought that they would struggle a little bit more. Uh, You know, we talked about a lot about um, staggering the two of them because we weren't so sure how they would play together. And obviously, you know, when Rubio misses a wide open three to to end a game or something like that, that stands out like a sore thumb. But, you know, overall, the two of them meshing together, I think, has been a a positive for the Suns.
1: Yeah, no, I totally agree, Uh, especially on Rubio. We we talked about the possibility that maybe he would return sort of his Minnesota form because Utah was a bad fit for him. Uh, I think that's largely happened. Yeah. Uh, the 9.4 assists per game are the most obvious metric for that, but he really at times is just a true floor general out there. Mm-hmm. It's a cliche, but he actually deserves it because he actually does, you know, uh, basically have the offense work only because of his direction. Uh, and which has been great to see And as, as you know, you know you and I are both huge Stephen Ash fans obviously. Anybody who's old enough to watch him which is weird that I have to say that now. Uh, <laughs> knows what he was like. And, and you can see flashes of that in Rubio, which is just amazing. Uh, it's you know really helps uh, make the, the losses a little more palatable. Yep. Getting flashbacks to the seven seconds or less era. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, yeah, Booker. I mean, I can't believe how much Suns fans get on his case still. Uh, Zach Lowe on that same podcast uh, that I referenced earlier had him as a third-team All-NBA guard so far. Yep, um, Larger on the strength of his efficiency, man. He's just been ridiculously efficient. Uh there's just I don't think there's been I think he's still the the twenty five plus point scorer who's the most efficient, maybe Giannis. Uh but he's just been awesome this season. So I cannot uh disagree with you at all on those two choices, David.
0: Yeah, just to I guess sprinkle in a little bit of general NBA stuff, it, it's probably not too dissimilar to the way we're seeing Philly fans talk about Ben Simmons at the moment, Max. Mm. You know, it's mm-hmm. it seems a little bit nitpicky to me in that you're blaming other problems on a on a superstar player that uh you know maybe you should be looking elsewhere because yeah i think you're you're spot on there any fans that have been calling out devin booker's play uh so far this season i think they need to start looking elsewhere for their for their issues because uh, Booker has been every bit as good as probably what we hoped going into the season, Max.
1: Yeah, I don't know if he's still up there on this stat. Remember that stat where if you combine assists, potential assists, and free throw assists, he's leading the league.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I don't know if that's still the case, but I'm sure he's still near the top because he hasn't really fallen off in his passing to any extent. I think Aiton coming back is going to help him a lot. He may, it may even bump his assists up more than bump Rubio's up. Yep. We'll have to see how that goes. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you on those guys. Uh, I guess I'll go to a disappointment for me. Mm-hmm. Um, man, so I don't, I'm not going to say this over the whole season, obviously, because I think he's actually been one of the biggest surprise positives on the course of the season. But it's kind of disappointing to see what Baines is right now, isn't it? I think, I mean, maybe he didn't come back fully healthy, and, you know, he's adjusting to, I don't know, maybe a different kind of role. But his three-point shooting has kind of fallen off a cliff. What do, what's your assessment of the way Aaron Baines has played lately?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, when those shots from the top of the key stop going in, you know, it it definitely uh, struggles to have a a larger impact on the game. I was really confused by the fact that they didn't uh, start him once he was back. I think that was a disservice to him and then threw him in uh, the last game against OKC. Will be really interesting to see what they do tonight. Uh, I think it kind of maybe leads into Aiton being out for a little bit longer than what we probably hope here because I think you could kind of see their mm. uh, rationale at least that uh, they were going to get Bain settled in his bench role uh, in the three or four games before Aiton was back and then kind of settle things. But then all of a sudden they've, you know, hit the panic button and he's back starting again. So that'll be really interesting to watch going forward. You know, I still think he does all the intangible stuff really well. And I think, you know, we, we hear Devin Booker speak about him and, and having him on the court, just yelling at everyone is, you know, a positive for the team, but you know when the shot's not going in, then things look a little bit uglier. It's probably very similar to Ricky Rubio for all the good things that they do. If they miss you know key shots or or their percentages after a week don't look as good as what they did uh earlier in the season then uh yeah, their overall effect doesn't look quite as good, but you know it anyone who's like really, really disappointed in Aaron Baines, I think maybe just got into a little bit of a false sense of. Uh, hope from his early season play because I was, you know, always skeptical he wasn't going to quite be able to keep up those gaudy numbers. You know, there is a reason that he's a, you know, 15 minute a night backup in the league, Max. And it, as good as he was to start the season, uh, we we can't expect that from a 33 a year old center who's. Being, you know, somewhat of a journeyman around the NBA.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. I think it, it, would, it was. No one really expected him to keep up that other performance level. He was at the beginning. He was like an MVP candidate this sort of season. <laughs> but uh, you would, uh, yeah. You, I think people were hoping that he would keep up the the you know, the mid 40s three point shooting at least, and to, you know, really have a breakout season in that regard. Uh, hasn't totally happened. He also I, these games are blending together for me now. But there was one game where he made a lot of bad plays in a row that really kind of maybe the Memphis game. Or maybe it was the portland games it's like he really kind of took us out of it a little bit, and it was tough, yeah, yeah, but anyway i, I don 't think I'm not concerned about him going forward necessarily. I just
0: wanted to point that out a little bit I think it's a good point about the team overall in the last week or so, just kind of losing their head a little bit and, and guys that you probably would hope mm-hmm. would be the leaders, and I think yeah you, you can definitely point the finger at Aaron Baines from that respect in some of the close losses uh that the team just didn 't kind of keep their cool in some of those moments. And, you know, I pointed out during the week that for all the complaining about referees and stuff, uh, other than the OKC game uh, before that, we've lost six double digit leads in a row. And, and that just shouldn't happen when you've got vets like Rubio and Baines on the floor. So from that perspective, uh, yeah, we should definitely point the finger at a guy like Aaron Baines a little bit.
1: Yeah. And you can even say Rubio too, with some of the stuff that happened late in the San Antonio game. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was tough. Um, two more guys. I want to do positive real quick uh Dario I think has been you know really much better on defense than I thought he was going to be um also just lately he's been a killer on offense too he's just been really really good and I'm uh, yeah I think it's looking more likely that they'd keep him if he keeps playing like this uh and the other guy I want to mention is Kelly Oubre mm-hmm. uh man there are times like in the there, I think in the second quarter of the Clippers game when he started butting heads with Paul George where he like he flashes like superstar upside stuff he's, he's this some crazy crap he's so athletic But, you know, his decision-making is always going to hold him back from that, I think. Um, But he improved it this season. Maybe he can keep making incremental steps there. But there are times when Kelly Oubre is just, he shines, man.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, you always make this point, and I think it's a good one, is, you know, if you just look at Kelly Oubre's numbers, uh, you wouldn't be all that impressed. He's probably the quintessential guy of, like, Uh, you know, eye test versus uh, advanced stats test. If you're not watching Phoenix games, you would uh, Mm -hmm. probably be confused about how positively we talk about a guy like Kelly Oubre Jr. But yeah, he just hits the right shots. I think he's, you know, what is it? Three or four clutch threes now that he's hit haven't all resulted in wins, which is unfortunate because we'd probably be talking about his impact uh, even more if they were all, resulted in in wins for the Suns but that's not his fault he's doing his job that's for sure but yeah, you know, I think really good that you highlighted both Saric and Ubre here because I think they're both the ones to watch from what we were talking about before with the flow on effect of, of DeAndre Ayton because I think we will see their impact and their stats kind of go up as they get used to playing with DeAndre and they've both been trending in the right direction already anyway. So might take a little bit of time to adjust things, but I I specifically think Dario will feast with a guy like DeAndre Ayton next to him, particularly the way he's been trending the last 10 or so games. Been shooting very, very well from deep as well. So hopefully that continues. But I'll throw a couple more out before we, I guess, transition into the next section here, Max. Got to give Cam a shout out. Mm -hmm. You know, we kind of expected the shooting to translate, but the fact that he's shooting above 40% uh, and, you know, on three-point attempts, uh, if you kind of extrapolate things out to per 36, he's kind of in the top 15 in the NBA in terms of being a volume three-point shooter. And in that group of 15 he'd have kind of the fourth or fifth best percentage, you know, only behind, uh, you know, guys like Davis Bertans and a couple of other guys that are just, you know, shooting ridiculous numbers at the moment from three. So uh, maybe as advertised, but, it's certainly good when the advertisement translates straight away. And he's shown little other flashes as well, I think. As, you know, is there anything that you kind of want to touch on with Cam there, Max? Uh,
1: not really. Other than
0: that, I just love him.
1: <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, there was some Brandon Clark stuff coming up over the last week because he had a couple of big games, uh, including against us. Yeah. And uh, while I still wish we would have taken him, uh, you know, and I really wanted him at the time, obviously, uh, it's not so painful because, you know, Cam's beautiful shooting numbs the pain. David, I just, I love great shooters. Love them. It's like my favorite
0: thing in basketball. And the dude is one of them. And it's just really a pleasure to watch him on a night to night basis. You're surprised whenever the ball doesn't go in. Yep. That's all I'll, I'll say about that with Cam. And uh, you see it with the teammates. You know, I've noted it before. I think, I don't think that I've seen Devin Booker, you know, take to a guy and trust a guy. So quickly as he does with Cam Johnson throwing him the ball, he just expects him to hit those wide open shots when he gets doubled or or rushed uh, or blitzed on defense. So that's been yeah.
1: I think there was one game, wasn't it, where he it was late in the game and he like pa- had made an amazing pass to wide open Cam, missed a three, and after the game people were like criticizing Booker <laughs> for his not taking over at the end of the game. It's like, dude, there's nothing better on the entire team than getting a wide open Cam Johnson shot. You cannot criticize Booker for that. Yeah,
0: totally agree. And I guess lastly on this, before I'll throw a question your way. Uh, Tyler. I have to bring up Tyler. Yeah. It's, I've got to bring up one of him or Mikhail. And, I, you know, I'm a little bit disappointed in Mikhail, but I don't want to throw him too much under the bus other than his, you know, three-point shooting, not being as we hoped it would be in his, his second year. But, yeah, Tyler, I thought he'd be the, the key bench piece here, and he's just completely disappeared. Uh, we'll get into it in a minute with the rotation, but there's a wide-open slot there for someone to take. And uh, Tyler's just, yeah, fallen off the radar, which... Uh, only feeds the the trade rumors uh, a little bit more, which is probably a good segue into asking you this question that I've got. Not sure if you saw the Rubio quote to Dwayne Rankin after the OKC Thunder game, Max. Did you see that?
1: I did not know I uh I was in Star Wars. So I did not see that.
0: All right. I am going to read it to you and you can let us know your thoughts. He said, "It's that time of the year, trade talk. You're thinking your agent calls you and and says you got to put up more points or whatever it is. If we believe in this team and that we're going to do something special, we've got to be unselfish like we have been." I'm really confused by this quote, particularly on the back of the OKC Thunder game cuz straight away I went who could he possibly be talking about? And I'm just not sure who's playing a selfish way in the last week or so that, that, that this quote could be directed to or whether it was more just a, a general observation from Ricky Max.
1: Yeah, I read that more as being like a, a veteran, been on teams like that before sort of thing. Yep. Um, and trying to nip it in the bud before it even happens, Because, yeah, I agree with you. I think that, you know, I, I can't think of a single person in this game who is who is selfishly holding the ball for themselves or taking too many shots. I, I, I don't, I mean, you know, most would say Booker's probably taking too few shots. Yeah. Uh, Kelly, you know, he's not a good passer, but he's not like he never passes. He's not as much black holes as he has, been. he tries. So, yeah, I, I don't really, yeah I, yeah, I don't really see who he, I think he's got to be more of a general comment about, you know, just trying to prep the team for this season. Uh when I, when I say this season, I mean this trade season. <laughs> yep. I and mean, I think a lot of players are looking over their shoulders uh, to some extent. And he just, you know, he, I think he's saying you got to not do that. You got to cut that crap out, you know, before it happens. Yeah.
0: Who should be worried? Obviously, Tyler's a, a big one. I'm starting to maybe think that Mikhail should be yep. a little bit worried. I think they're going to get to a point of frustration where they look to make a, a bigger move. And he's still going to be, you know, I guess a prize piece in a bigger trade. Uh, anyone else kind of spring to mind even as just like losing their minutes uh, or, or their their spot in, in the rotation? No,
1: I think you nailed the two and Mikel's the interesting one to focus on because it's becoming really hard to make make anything out of Mikel. I don't know what's going on with him, man. I tweeted the other day that he's either the, the, the best the best bad player of the NBA or the worst good player of the NBA. <laughs>
0: yeah, I, I thought that was a good summation.
1: I just can't figure him out, man. Like Defensively, he really does impact games, like absolutely. And the metrics actually really like him. The metrics like him a lot more than they like Kelly Oubre, mm-hmm. uh, which may surprise Suns fans. I, I mean, maybe it's, a, it's it's definitely a flaw in some of the metrics, but also, I mean, you know, it's it's harder to see the impact of defense sometimes, uh, but Mikel is absolutely great on that side of the ball. The problem is, man, offensively, uh, kind of the opposite. Like he just—he's so inconsistent. He disappears so much. I think the San Antonio game when he—the when, you know, first time he's gotten a start at shooting guard for Booker, uh, we were kind of hoping to see him maybe you know use the opportunity to get more aggressive. Yeah. I think he took three shots or four shots in the whole game. It's just you can't do that uh, when the team's kind of relying on him to to provide some offense, especially when he's in that role for Booker, and he's just not capable of it yet.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, as his biggest supporter, you know, I think he's going to shine on really good teams and I hope it's in Phoenix. But uh, when you go through some frustrating patches, yeah, it's very hard to ignore the fact that he looks very bad when the team's struggling. And you kind of hope that there's some guys that can, you know, grab the bull by the horns and and take things over. And that's just not him. I've even noticed a, a couple of times on the sideline where Monty has, you know, motioned to him and, and said, you got to shoot that when he, when he hasn't. Uh, and he's had him on a really, really short leash as well. So yeah. yeah, just kind of trying to read things from the position that I sit over the other side of the world, just watching on a broadcast. But I think the frustration is starting to pile up in terms of the way that they're treating him game to game. So yeah, a really interesting one to watch, but also probably a great time for us to switch over to talking a little bit more about the, I guess, rotation as a whole, uh, if and when they get most of their core guys back here, Max.
1: Yep. I just want to say one quick last thing on Mikel, which is that I agree with you that the teams out there are going to want him. They're going to think they can fix the offense, and they're going to see the metrics on the defense just think that they can really make him to a player. Mm-hmm. So if the Suns are looking to make a big move, I think he will be uh, definitely a chess piece for that kind of move. Uh, healthy rotation. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you, you want to go ahead and go through what you think. The starters and the bench unit will look like uh, once we have everyone back.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm just going off Monty's original comments around a ten-man rotation and a, a core four sort of idea. And you kind of look at it: Aiton, Dario, Kelly, Book, Rubio, starting five. Mm-hmm. Then you got Baines, Cam, and Mikel, I think are kind of three reserves. Frank's obviously the floating one, where you'd kind of hope that he doesn't have to play every game as a you know backup power forward. Uh, But maybe you could do with an upgrade there, particularly maybe with some athleticism. Uh, And then just question marks as far as backup guard goes, whether it's point guard or or combo guard. And uh, you look at the rest of the roster, they're all combo guards. Jerome, Johnson, Okobo, Carter. uh, And no one is kind of putting their hand up for that last spot, Max. So
1: I would argue that Okobo kind of is. I don't think that Mane sees it that way. But for me, I would have, and I agree with you on everything else you said. By the way, the the whole rotation, I think it's all that's all correct. Yeah. I think the guards, the swing spot here, is I, I, for me. If I was running the team, Okobo would kind of be signed, sealed, and delivered as the backup point guard. Yeah. Uh, I just think he's he's earned that so far. Maybe he'll play his way out of it, but for now, that's I think he's the guy who obviously should be there. And then I think the other guard spot is going to be a competition. Throughout the season, between uh, Ty Jerome, Javon Carter, and Tyler Johnson, like I think whoever's you know playing better in practice, they can both get spot. They can all get spot minutes. Then you know whoever is like, grabbing the ball by the horns and is showing they deserve to be out there, maybe, maybe he's the guy who plays, or maybe they're going to have to get to a point where they just use three guards for the most part. You know, stagger Booker
0: and Rubio uh, with with Okobo. Yeah, that, a little more. So maybe Okobo he takes an even a bigger role on. That's certainly one way to get Frank out of the rotation as well. Is you know you play more uh, Kelly. Cam and Mikhail together which we've you know yep. we've said we we want to see more of so Oubre is essentially the the four in that scenario uh but yeah you need i guess two guards to put their hand up and uh force monty's hand a little bit so yeah i i think that's a good point by you Akobo has probably done the best job at putting his hand up but for whatever reason it's not being noticed by monty and yeah you know, i don't want to go on some huge diatribe about monty cuz we've certainly touched on the in the first forty five minutes, you know, some of the problems that have been presented with Monty, but uh haven't been all that impressed, I guess, off the back of that Akobo point and just the way he's kind of uh putting some of these combinations out here. He he does have to, I guess, uh fight around and, and try and find what's gonna work. But uh I think he's probably doing a little too much of that and and not giving guys a chance to settle into their roles and um, you know, just work together. You know, he, Again, the the starting five's not the issue here. I looked at it still as of today. Baines, Booker, Kelly, Rubio, Saric. So that starting five uh, has played the most minutes for the Suns. 168 minutes together, those five. And they're still plus 12.2. So I think the bench is the issue. And he's playing too many of those bench guys together rather than trying to find some lineups that have some... Uh, you know, positive impact players in there as well, Max.
1: Yeah, so I, I agree to an extent. I will say, and I obviously, you know this, everyone knows this. He's, he's his deck is not full. Yes. Uh, he, i was sure he would be playing that starting lineup, but that's plus twelve more if he had it ever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how many times has he had Rubio, Booker, and Baines in the same game since that seven and four start? It's been like one or two games. Yeah. Um, so that that makes it tough. Uh, obviously, he hasn't had eight in the entire time. Um, but I, I mean, I obviously agree with the Kobo Point. I, I definitely agree with you on. Playing too many bench guys together, point there, are just some lineups that just don't work that he plays. Uh, I think, you know, Frank Kaminsky has had fine times in offense, but I think there's been, he's been too too slow to replace Frank at times. Yeah, I think. Uh, I gave him credit for going to that fun Cam Mikel Ubre Booker Rubio lineup at the end of New Orleans game. I think he probably should have done it more. Yeah, uh, it was maybe too little too late when he got to it, and he you know he really didn't do it much after that. So there are definitely nitpicks, and you know earlier in the season there were like almost no nitpicks with Monty, and that, that was kind of hard to expect to continue. Um, but I, I you know I'm not going to kill him. I think he's still been good, you know good overall for sure. Uh, I want to see what happens when he gets his full roster back uh, to play with.
0: Yeah, be really silly of me to spend you know the podcast all last year defending Igor for the lack of pieces and and things that he had, but I just want people to I guess pay a little bit more attention to that, like they did last season. Is uh, you know it, it is hard for an NBA coach when you lose some key pieces and have to scramble around a little bit and. Uh, Monty's even finding that difficult at the moment but the position that they find themselves in and, and all the positives of, about Monty being a leader and a culture guy I just think this is going to be a really important time and I hope we see positive results from the next 10 games or so because this is why he got brought in is to kind of bring the team together so I certainly don't want to see you know, more quotes like the Ricky Rubio run around things getting fractured because this was supposed to be uh, I guess Monty's biggest strength is, is being able to, you know, build the culture and keep everyone together even through the hard times, Max.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, and I think that we're going to learn a lot about Monty uh, over the next few stretches. Cause as you pointed out a million times, uh, their schedule does lighten up pretty soon and it's going to be important for them as they get healthier. And as their schedule lightens up to start rattling off some wins, you know, get themselves back closer to 500 and back in this race because, uh, they can't continue to in a hole like this. I know the West is weaker uh, around the bottom of the playoffs than it has been over the past few years, but it, it ain't that weak. You can't win 35 games to make it, so they're going to have to get <laughs> a little better. The one, the one last thing I want to say positively about Mani that maybe distinguishes him from in- Igor or whoever was making the rotation decisions last season uh he hasn't been stubborn at least yes uh he doesn't stick I, you know he doesn't like the drone thing wasn't working but he didn't do it for like 10 games he did it for like three or four yeah uh, where he was having as the lead guy out there uh he just you know he, there's nothing like the jamal Crawford thing or even the isaiah cannon thing where it just dragged on obviously for like a dozen games too long that hasn't happened yet so i'm, I'm that makes me hopeful that he at least you know he's able to see things that don't work and, and not go to like, he's not he's not playing Book, uh, Aiton and Baines together a lot. Again, I don't think <laughs> that's what happened. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. We're definitely nitpicking here a little bit at Monty, but uh, something to watch. But as it gets pretty obvious with that Tyler contract, you know, last episode, we touched on, I guess the big power forward deals. And then we touched on a few combo guards and stuff that we could get. But, you know, it, looking at the rotation here, what we've spoken about, I think it's pretty obvious that, you know, the starters are, are pretty good. They maybe just need a, a backup one, maybe a backup four to replace Frank. So I had a quick look around with the, the Tyler deal. Um, yeah, I'd be kicking the tires on Lonzo, Max. Mm. I know you're going to be excited by that. Mm. They've also got Mally, who has come over from Europe and isn't really getting used all that much. So, you know, could you kill two birds with one stone there and, and get Lonzo and Mally for the, the Tyler contract and some... You know draft picks or something, you know. New Orleans are, are looking pretty bad, so they're going to have to change direction at, at some point. Uh, at least once Zion's back, if things are still looking pretty bad, so I'd look at that. Uh, Derek White in San Antonio is one to watch. They're not going to just give him away, obviously, but you could throw in a guy like Rudy Gay as well if they go in a different direction. Uh, Sataransky, someone that we spoke about quite a bit, who knows what the Bulls are doing. <laughs> Maybe you could pry pry him away as that kind of third guard that we saw Tyler Johnson being for this team. Uh, And then Charlotte, we talked about Marvin Williams, but I wonder if you could uh, go after a guy like Malik Monk, who's, you know, Mm. not valued really anymore in Charlotte by the looks of things and take a, take a gamble on him for the, the Tyler deal, Max, any of those, uh, tweaking your interest? Uh, all of them. I think it's a great list. It's really interesting. Give them some <laughs> names that I haven't
1: thought about and all of them uh, make some sense in, in certain ways. Uh, the Lanza one's fascinating and I think that may be the best one for the reason uh, that they're. I think they're going to pay Ingram because yep. he's playing so well and they're going to give him a max if they're going to pay him. So if you have, you give Ingram a max, uh, you know they're probably going to trade Drew Holiday here coming up, but Ingram a max, you know Zion's going to eventually get a max if he can even play. Uh, you have a lot of young guys. Jackson Hayes is looking good. Like, I'm not sure Lonzo Ball is going to be someone they want to pay. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense on their team necessarily. I mean, maybe it does if he gets the sh- keeps the shooting uh, up. You know, maybe it makes sense to have him out there with Zion in transition. We'll see what happens when he gets back. But I think that if you can get uh, New Orleans thinking they don't want to pay Lonzo and they just kind of want to deal him just to get something out of it, that's something that's really interesting because you know I've always been a Lonzo fan as you as you alluded to, David.
0: Yeah, and I just think you got to look at those types of options. Yeah, you know, I think James Jones pretty much quashed. Uh, He might have been, you know, trying to sell the narrative here a little bit, but I think he kind of said we probably wouldn't be looking to make any of those big Kevin Love type moves after our podcast last time. So, you know, you got to look at those little ones where, look where there might be some undervalued guys. And that's kind of what I tried to have a look at. And yeah, Lonzo would be a a great uh, guy to look at. Um, You you alluded to it there that the transition stuff between Lonzo and Zion is, is kind of mouthwatering, but uh, that's one piece of it, and and they may just decide to, to move on, and, and it could be one worth looking at, I think.
1: Yeah, Sadaransky's the other one that really intrigued me. His contract is great. Uh, you probably, it, it's weird. I don't think they have the right amount of value to give straight up for him. It'd have to be like Mikel for him and something else or some, something like that. Mm. But that's a really fascinating one.
0: Anyway, should we go ahead and move on to Did You Know, David? Let's do it. Max, did you know it has been 10 years since the Suns last played on Christmas Day? That's right. With the usual Christmas Day slate of games coming up, I took a look back at the Suns' recent history with this day, and you have to go all the way back to 2009 for a Phoenix game on Christmas Day. Do you want to take a stab at who the Suns played, Max? I'll give you a clue. They're due to play on this Christmas Day slate of games this year. I was going to guess the Lakers. Is that I know they play this year. Same building, different team. The Los Angeles Clippers. Mm. Quick aside about this year's matchups though, Max. I want you to give me the five winners or I might throw a couple other questions your way for the boring game. So first up, Boston at Toronto.
1: Um,
0: Boston, Toronto's injury luck lately has been uh, not great. Yeah, bad timing for Christmas Day. Next up is Philly hosting the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, I'm not ever taking a team playing the Milwaukee Bucks, David. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then we go to Houston at Golden State. But instead of a winner here, I want you to tell me who you'd replace Golden State with for that Christmas Day game, Max. Mm,
1: that's a great question. Uh, is Dallas on Christmas Day?
0: Uh, they are not. I would,
1: well, and if Luca were healthy, it would, it would be them. I think that's a fun matchup. I don't know if you watched the game they played. It was it
0: was fun. That's a great answer. So
1: I'll, I'll go ahead and say
0: that. All right. Then we've got the LA rivalry, Lakers versus Clippers. Uh, I think the Lakers are going to win, get the revenge. All right. And then we finish off on Christmas Day with the Nuggets at home to the Pelicans. But again, I think that result is pretty easy to pick. So how about a different opponent for the Nuggets at home, Max?
1: Hmm. Let's go with... Utah I think I see those teams very similar Mm -hmm. I think one of those teams is probably going to emerge as being like a you know Western Conference finals possibility contender guy team Uh, so that's maybe the the showdown for that
0: I like it I like it but back to the Suns now and surprise surprise Max our record around Christmas from a win-loss standpoint isn't all that great in recent history in the first game post Christmas Day the Suns are three and six dating back to their actual last Christmas Day game Max, starting with last season, do you recall which somewhat memorable game took place on December 26 and resulted in a Suns win? Somewhat memorable game. We've talked about it quite a bit on this podcast. Uh, sorry, I'm a blanking on this one, dude. That's alright. It was the 122-120 OT win over the Orlando Magic. Devin mm. Booker had 35 points in that one, but I think... We both might actually remember it more for DeAndre Ayton. Do you agree? Absolutely. That's the uh, most I've ever been encouraged by him. Yep. And before we move on from that, guess how many points Ayton scored in that game, Max? I don't think it was very many. I would say like 10. It was eight. He had eight, and three, and yet it was one of his most impactful games of his young career to date. Very interesting. Mm -hmm. So that was, of course, one of three wins. And also, one of eight games in the last nine seasons played on December 26 after no Suns Christmas Day game. Quick fun fact for you and the listeners, Max we had you replace New Orleans and Golden State before. One of the eight games on December 26 was actually the first of the season in 2011 after the lockout, a one point loss to open the season that came to New Orleans. And on top of that, Only once in the last nine years have the Suns not played until December 27th after Christmas. And that was in 2013 when Phoenix fell 85-115 to to none other than the Golden State Warriors. Mm. And Max, this season becomes yet another season without a Suns Christmas Day game, but also the second time in 10 seasons that we play on the 23rd and then not until the 27th. Guess who we play in that one, Max? It's one of the teams we've been mentioning a few times here. The 27th? Yes.
1: Um, I know we play Golden State soon after Christmas,
0: is it them? That is correct. Keeping the 27th of December rivalry tradition alive, but hopefully a much better result than the 115-85 to 85 loss that I mentioned before. But back... To that last Christmas Day game now, Max, a 124-93 thrashing of the Los Angeles Clippers at home in Phoenix in 2009. Max, our magic number seven stands out here because seven Phoenix Suns players scored in double digits in that game, and you are going to tell me who all seven of them are. Oh, God, I hate you. <laughs> uh,
1: Steve Nash.
0: Had 14 points to go with eight assists. This is the 09-10 season, correct? Correct. Uh, Amari Stoudemire had 26 points on 10 of 15 shooting. Grant Hill had 12 points and an almost perfect night from the field, free throw line, and three. Channing Fry was not one of them. Mm, Jared Dudley. Jared Dudley had 18 points on the back of a team-high four threes. Goran Dragic. Ch- ch- it's. <laughs> had 13 points. Um, how many more do I have? One. Uh, two to go. Uh, Jay Rich. Jay Rich had 18 points, 8 boards, and 4 assists. And one more bench player. Barbosa. Barbosa had 12 points. In fact, the only starter not to hit double digits in this one was the guy you mentioned before, Channing Frye. So now, Max, to round out, did you know this week, there was a pair of brothers listed as inactive for this Clippers-Suns game, one for either team. That was Blake Griffin on one side and Taylor Griffin (laughs) on the other. They both wore number 32. So 32 plus 32 is 64. Channing Frye wore number 8. So 64 plus 8 gets us to 72, the number of this episode, Max. But the 09 wow. 10 <laughs> game was obviously the last season the Suns made the playoffs. So, with no Xmas Day games this season, things aren't looking good for the Suns in the tea leaves. But let's discuss now their real chances to end the playoff drought now.
1: Taylor Griffin was a underratedly bad draft pick. Like, I know I know it was really late so the value wasn't that bad but like, oh my god, he was not an NBA player. He only got drafted because his last name was Griffin.
0: You know what? I actually was unsure whether we drafted or picked him up as a, a free agent. I had to go back and look and I had the exact same thought because they used a pretty good second round pick on Taylor fucking Griffin. Oh, was it? What, what? I thought it was like later. What was the uh, second round pick? Oh, that's a good question but I remember being surprised. But to be honest, even if if it was 59 or 60, it was probably still a bad pick. Just throwing a pick away, basically. Uh, all
1: right, David, let's start looking forward a little bit to uh, whether this healthy Sun team, once it gets healthy, I should say, they are not healthy right now, mm-hmm. uh, not even close. Uh, can they make the playoffs still is kind of the question we're going to ask. Uh, you wanted to go through, I think, the upcoming schedule here to start. Yes,
0: and I will just say Taylor Griffin was picked at number forty-eight in that draft, Max. Okay.
1: <laughs> okay, so that's definitely throwing away a pick that could that could possibly result in a player. My
0: uh, my first observation here, Max, is I actually had us at thirteen wins at this stage of the season when I predicted mm. uh, a thirty-five win total. So not exactly a, a scientific process, but when I went through and circled on the calendar before the season started. Uh, I had us ahead of where we're at now, which is interesting, Uh, but I also had us losing the next six games, which Ah. (laughs) just cannot happen, obviously. That would be disastrous. We've got uh, Houston, Denver, Golden State, Sacramento, and Portland uh, all before the new year, and then the Lakers uh, as the first game in 2020, so not exactly scientific, as I said, but yeah, you know, I'm still focused. You alluded to it before on the Knicks to Knicks run <laughs> that we have coming up in early January. So I wanted to get your thoughts on that. We're we're 11 and 17 at the moment, and I want you know we're feeling pretty bad about the team. So I wouldn't be surprised if you you say all losses here. But I want you to pick the wins out of these next six games for me. So we're playing uh, Houston today, uh, a loss. Denver.
1: You know I think we're finally gonna beat that team. Yeah, we owe them a, uh, a
0: beating. Ooh, I like that. And then we're playing at Golden State. Better if we can win that game, man. <laughs> at Sacramento. Uh, when? I think that
1: Sacramento's having their own sort of integration issues with Fox and Marvin back coming back. At Portland. Oh, man. You know what? we? I guess I'm being weirdly optimistic here. We should have won
0: the last one. I think they win this one. I love it. And then at the Lakers. Not that optimistic. I'm going to go with a the loss there. So that's four and two. So you have us mm. 15 and 19, which is a great setup for my next point. So thank you very, very much for that. Because <laughs> the next question is, can we get back to 500 on this Knicks to Knicks run? So again, give me your wins and losses here. We are at home to the Knicks. Uh, win. At home to Memphis. You know, they, they caught us last time. They're playing pretty well lately, actually.
1: But I think by that time, we're healthy. We'll get a win there.
0: At home to Sacramento. Uh, I'll go with loss,
1: just because I gave us a win last time against them. Yep, at home to Orlando.
0: Yeah,
1: I'll give us a win there because we lost them last time. I think Orlando is a team that they're often just going to struggle on the
0: road. At home to Charlotte, um, win, and then at Atlanta. Mm, I hope John Collins back, they've been just a disaster this season. I'll go win there. And at the New York Knicks. Yeah, I got to give us a win there. We got to beat the Knicks games, man. So that's six more wins and just one loss which would put us answering the question as yes from you Max because you would have us at 21 and 20 after 41 games and the perfect halfway mark of the season so a little bit of positivity there as far as the upcoming schedule goes Max we could uh, I really hope that this part of the schedule was going to boost us forward and and you know go even more Uh, above 500, because as we'll discuss in a minute, the schedule obviously then gets tough again. Uh, But we can get back to 500 uh, early in January here, Max, which is encouraging.
1: Yeah, I graded that optimistically for sure, but I wouldn't say I graded it unrealistically. Like, that's something that could happen, Um, especially if Aiden comes back sooner rather than later, which, you know... I agree with you. It's kind of a bad sign that they had the, the Bain starting thing happen, but it's also probably good that he played on the ankle so much after that. Like, if you have a bad ankle sprain, you're usually not playing right away. Exactly. Uh, so we'll see. I, I expect him to come back within you know a week at least.
0: Yeah, true. Uh, yeah, a lot of it's probably going to come down to how many wins they can pick up in this initial six games and not get yeah. too far below 500. But, yeah, main point being that there's a stretch coming up which should coincide with the team being uh, fully healthy where they can – really make a run on here, Max. But did you have any other I guess observations about the schedule coming up as a whole or, or any important times for the Suns?
1: Yeah, no, I think the I, I mean, you've been focusing on this for a while. We referenced it earlier, but that Nick's stretch is just it's so important. Yep. I think if if they're if they if they struggle against that stretch and they go five hundred or below, I think, you know, their playoff chances become
0: uh sort of a mirage at that point. Yeah, and it's a real setup for pretty much the rest of the season is they've got a yeah, you know, I think the recipe here is they've got to take care of teams with worse records than them, pick up their fair share of games uh particularly in the west which we'll get onto in a minute, you know, with the the teams that are kind of around the same record, and then a few surprising wins I suppose, which you picked a couple there, you know, maybe they can pick one up against Denver or you know, make sure they take care of Orlando and Charlotte at home, back-to-back games. You know, that's the recipe here for, for them turning the season around a little bit.
1: They need to just freaking shoot better <laughs> is one thing. It's just the way they're shooting is awful. And then the other thing is teams need to stop shooting so well against them. Yeah. Uh, I think they're suffering for some pretty bad luck right now. Uh, not my hot take, especially, but even putting the injuries aside. Uh, I think that they've, you know, we've mentioned the close game luck earlier. I think the reffing, I don't like to blame reffing generally. I think it all evens out. I don't think anyone has anything against the Suns. But I think Alessandro, uh, Ali on Twitter made made this point. I think it's correct. Young teams, just in general, or teams that haven't proven themselves, just don't get the calls that proven teams get. Mm -hmm. Um, That's just something that's always part of the NBA. It's been that way forever, so... Uh, I think maybe that'll start to sh- even out a little bit. Hopefully uh, the shooting luck definitely will. Cause that's just the way regression to the mean works. So I think there's definitely a better times ahead. This is likely the new year of the season. Um, it's just hopefully the better times are enough to, uh, you know, erase kind of what's happened lately.
0: Yeah. I think, you know, you create your own luck and that's what we're looking for the suns to do with, with getting on a bit of a run here. I think yep. the rest of January is okay. So that becomes like a above 500 month. I think February is a, around a 500 month is, Kind of littered some really tough games, but some definitely winnable ones. Uh, Fourteen games in March is is really really tough. The the only easy wins you can schedule there are kind of Golden State, Minnesota, Cleveland, and Washington. The rest of them are pretty pretty tough.
1: And by that point, Curry could be back, so maybe Golden State. Exactly. Not
0: and then April's really soft. Whether they're completely out of the race by then, uh, we just don't know. Hopefully, what we're saying here is you, they can set themselves up, but. You kind of end with uh, the Thunder, Cleveland, Chicago, Minnesota, the Pelicans, and then they end with three games that right now look really tough: Utah, Houston, and the Lakers. But there's every chance that you know things at the top are are kind of settled, and and teams are tanking or or mm-hmm. you know maneuvering for playoff seedings and things as well. So they could get really lucky if they're still in it to to end in April, Max.
1: Yeah, finishing with the last game of the season against the Lakers is really a blessing, honestly, because there's a really good chance LeBron and Davis don't play in that game. 100%. LeBron never plays in the last week of the season. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, all right, do you want to move on to maybe, uh, what's the next thing you got in your, on your little list there, David?
0: I think we should go, uh, you know, as we have with most of the episodes here, maybe have a, a bit of a discussion about the bubble teams. And yep. there's probably two, two questions straight up is, Uh, is it still a race for two spots, which I think the answer is is pretty obvious to, Max?
1: Yeah, it definitely is. Uh, It's it's, uh, Lakers, Clippers, Nuggets, Mavericks, Rockets and Jazz are making the playoffs. Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: So now it's just down to that seven and eight, which currently are the Thunder and Blazers. Who are you currently comfortable cutting entirely from the discussion?
1: Uh, Warriors, Pelicans, and I'll still say Grizzlies, even though they've been playing a lot better lately, and are yep. only a game and a half behind the Suns. <laughs> yeah, uh, they just don't have the profile of a team that makes the playoffs.
0: Yep, I agree. Uh, and then I guess I'll throw the. Oh no, we'll leave that that question to the end. So we'll, we'll jump in here. Who did you say is is in seventh and eighth at the moment?
1: Right now, the Thunder are seventh, Blazers
0: are eighth. Okay, and they're uh, Thunder's fourteen and fourteen, I believe, and yep. and the Blazers are thirteen. And sixteen. I also had a, a quick look at uh, how Phoenix has fared against these teams as well. Phoenix is zero and one against the Thunder after that loss last night, with two games left, and also zero and one against the Blazers. But with uh, three games left there. So uh, those tiebreakers might become pretty important, I think, Max.
1: God, those Blazers and Spurs losses just kill us, don't they? Oh, man. Uh, they're oh. so bad. But uh, I do want to issue an apology on behalf of this podcast to the Oklahoma City Thunder, <laughs> for repeatedly not including them in the race when they are now on the seventh seed comfortably, a game and a half above the Blazers, and uh, three games above us. So that was a mistake. I think we all just kind of assumed they were going to trade their guys and they just weren't going you know, to play out the string. But at this point... I don't think that's a guarantee. I mean, if they don't get offers they like from some of these guys, they might just decide, hell, let's just go make the playoffs. Let's get SGA some playoff experience. Let's maybe have Chris Paul look awesome in a playoff series and increase his trade value. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, I'm not really sure they're going to trade these guys off, David. What do
0: you think? Yeah, it's a tough one. I still expect Presti to, to pull the ripcord at some point. But you're right, it's a small market team. Maybe the playoff experience and, and playoff money at some point might become... Uh, a smarter move for them particularly if they're not getting offers they want for mm-hmm. you know guys like Gallo Schroeder, I suppose even Stephen Adams who's pretty hard to to find a home for so yeah at least for now we're going to be including them a lot more I'm still you know if I had to pick I'm still confident that they uh I guess force themselves out of the race by the trade deadline but it's really one that we're going to have to keep talking to them uh, about them at, at least until the trade deadline where they uh show their hand a little they're bit. a
1: fascinating team the other thing about them too is that after the paul george trade they're just loaded with picks so like yeah are you really if you're if you're like in the playoff make sure the seventh seed still and have a comfortable lead like are you trading gallo for a bad first round pick from the clippers or somebody like, why would you even need to do that? Like, you have a bunch of bad, you have a bunch of good first round picks. So you don't really need a, a pick in the thirties, you know? It's a, it's a great point. It's interesting yeah,
0: for sure. So we'll
1: see what goes on with them. Uh, maybe let's move on to the Blazers because I think they've been one of the hotter teams in the league lately after such a bad start, mm-hmm. and it, it, it's coincided with the Mellow thing. I'm not really sure it's entirely because of him, even though he killed us. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I think a lot of it's more just Dame's Dame's back. And he was, uh, you know, heard a couple of those games. He's playing awesomely. Uh, CJ's come on a little bit more. Uh, I don't know. They're they're dangerous. Anytime you have Dame and CJ, you're dangerous. Dame. Yeah.
0: My question here is: Is Dame the best player of all of this? You know, group of of bubble teams. And I think you know maybe outside Carl Anthony Towns pushing him for for that uh, mantle. I think the answer is yes. And and whenever that. Uh, is the truth? I think they're going to be a, a main danger here for the seventh and eighth spots.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I'd have him above Cat, but those are the two best players. Booker's probably the third best player mm-hmm. uh, in the group. But uh, yeah, I mean, Dame, am Dame's one of my favorite players. I love Dame Lord. And in our game, he had one of the worst first halves I've seen from him ever. Uh, but then he really came out in the second half, and it was largely the reason they beat us. So anytime we go against the Portland Trailblazers, I, I I'm I'm always
0: nervous about Dame Lord. Yep, I agree. Who else are you worried about here? Mm. I
1: would say I'm worried about the Kings. Um, some of the stuff they did without uh, Bagley and Fox, really impressive. They were pretty good. Mm. Um, they still don't have a very good point differential relative to uh, their record at minus 2.7. Um, and yeah, it's just, you know, they may trade Bogdan also because I think they're going to want to yep. uh, not pay him. we given the money they have invested in and Harrison Barnes, oops, and <laughs> other guys. So that's interesting thing to look out for. That could really hurt them. But yeah, I think they have a higher upside than the Spurs do. I, I'm not as nervous about the Spurs. I
0: still think the Spurs are pretty bad. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Phoenix obviously one and one against the Kings with, with two games left being a, a division rival. So they're going to be important games for the Suns as well. The other interesting thing is they've brought Fox and Bagley both back off the bench, which, you know, the biggest concern here was... Uh, you know, initially was how they were going to fare without those guys. They did quite well. And now it's almost, you know, how are they going to integrate them back in and, and keep playing yeah. the the type of basketball that they'll play. And don't forget, Bogdan was a big reason why they kept winning with Fox out. So yeah, if there's trade watch on him, they may make a move that, um, you know, takes the guts out of their team a little bit and, and puts pressure on some other guys. So yeah, really interesting team to watch over the next 10 to 15 games, like all of these ones are. I'm still a little bit worried about the Spurs, even though I do agree with you that they probably sit on the the other half of not being uh, too much of a danger at 11 and 16 at the moment. Uh, that loss that the Suns, as you said, probably the worst loss of the season, just in terms of ones that they should have won and, and going 0-1 against another bubble team here with, with two games left. So, yeah, and then I guess the other two teams are Minnesota, and I would throw Memphis in there just by you know sheer fact that they're they're in the group at the moment uh, among those two and a half games or whatever that splits these seven teams. But uh, you know, if Mini can only go ten and seventeen with the way that Cat went to start the season, other than maybe trade watch with them and shaking things up, I, I don't know if they can drag themselves back into it. They've man. lost nine
1: games in a row. Even that's a bad sign. If you lose nine games in a row, you're probably bad. <laughs> I think that's safe to say. So yeah, that's they're a kind of a discouraging mess right now. Uh, now you know we, just, sons fans, you got a hope to hope Carl Anthony Towns demands out. And that's currently my hope. But uh, back to the Kings thing. I just I don't know if you saw uh, their game against the Pacers or anything about it. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Did you notice or hear that Bagley and Fox both came off the bench in that game? I did. That's
0: what I alluded to just before.
1: Yeah, it's uh, Bagley played really well actually off the bench um so maybe they'll keep him there i can't imagine they're gonna keep fox on the bench that's kind of crazy um but bagley off the bench may be something that'll work for them i really like marvin bagley uh so yeah it's gonna be interesting going forward and following this i it's i, I forgot how much it, it sucks in some ways to be part of something like this it's just hard a nightly basis, you have to worry about what other teams are doing too uh, uh it's probably less hard if the suns didn't lose every game um but uh I, yeah let's hope the Suns
0: start playing better until these other teams uh especially the hot ones like Sacramento fall off a little bit. Hey, it makes it interesting at least. I think I saw a tweet earlier today. I think we had four wins at this stage of the season Mm. last year. Uh, 11 and 17, if you had told me, I probably would have said we were out of the playoff race, but I think a few things have have fallen the right way for the Suns where they're still right in the thick of it here if they can turn things around, uh, you know, hopefully with this stretch that we're talking about in the new year. But if you had to, you know, we've done this a few times. If you had to rank... The teams where would where would you put them? Don't don't include Phoenix for now. I'll, I'll hit you with a follow up question after that. So in terms of the most likely to make the playoffs, yeah, just rank their I guess their level of danger towards the Suns right now. I would put the
1: Blazers at the top. Yep. Um. I would put yeah. You know, I think I'm gonna go with the Thunder next, even though they might be trading people. I just I think their team's really good. Uh, then the Kings, mm-hmm. then Spurs, then then Wolves.
0: Not too dissimilar. I guess I'm still expecting the the Thunder to uh, drop off, but. Uh, yeah, we, we'll wait and see. So with the two spots that we're talking about, where do you insert Phoenix right now, Max?
1: Uh, man, maybe I'm a homer, but I think I still think they're going to get the eighth seed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just, they just haven't been healthy at all. I mean, like, it's hard to really kill them for the way they're playing lately because they haven't had Booker for three of those games. They haven't had Baines for a lot of them. They haven't had Rubio for a lot of them. They never have them all at the same time. Aiton missed almost every single game this season. So, like, it's really hard to be like, oh, yeah, the Suns just suck lately. They're not making the playoffs. Like, this is not the team we're going to see. And even with this whole thing, David, uh, like I said earlier, uh, point differential-wise, they're the eighth seed. Like they're the eighth best point differential in the in the West. And a lot of it's come down to the fact they've lost a lot of these uh, close games at the end. Mm. The, if they would have won the Portland and the Spurs game, they'd be in a much. We'd be talking about them much differently. They would be the eighth seed still. So you know, I, I think that you know, if, if that luck kind of turns around, like we said, a lot of these shooting luck turns around. The reffing turns around maybe a little bit. Like there are a lot of things holding them back that I think aren't inherent flaws with their team. Um, so that that gives you some encouragement going forward how do you how do you look at it? Yeah,
0: I agree I think I'd probably put Portland in seven right now and be pretty mm-hmm. comfortable with that and then I think there's a wide open race for eight which phoenix are, are very much in contention for and uh yeah not being homers I'd probably put them in the lead I think your point's a good one they're, they're potentially gonna look back on some of these losses and kick themselves at the end of the year if they miss out by one or two games but I guess the the flip side of that, and and something Rubio keeps touching on at the moment, is if they can learn from these mistakes, that it may actually hold them in good stead for when they need to win some of these games uh, going forward. So a good experience, at least, even though we we you know wish they had have picked up a couple more of those games. But you know, as we've said through this section, a, a couple of things that makes it interesting. There's going to be a lot of games against these bubble teams coming up, and are uh, they almost? become double points games as we like to say here in uh australia with our local football team Mm -hmm. league is is kind of you know when you're playing these it's like a a win for you and a loss for someone else is is worth double points sometimes so even though we're in december we're already going to have some playoff like atmosphere type games in terms of uh impact on the sun season they already lost one uh yesterday against okc which which really hurt and i i could see that amongst the fan base is everyone really hoped that we could pick that one up but again that's the recipe recipe for the playoff series is winning and their fair share of those games taking care of the bad teams uh like this stretch that we're going to have up coming in january uh and then the odd surprise win like we mentioned at the top if they could get a philly type win again i think it would really boost the morale maybe it'll be by the time people are listening to this podcast with their uh backs against the wall against the houston rockets max We we definitely owe them one
1: God, I hope so. And that's another point that we haven't made yet. The the, the schedule makers have been doing them no favors with these back-to-backs lately, like constant Mm. back-to-backs. It has not been fun. But uh, I guess the last point I want to make on this is that as well as Booker's played this season, he's played very well, as we pointed out a million times. He has not had a stretch of games yet where he just like goes off and just wins them three games in a row. I still think that's well within his capabilities. Yep. And maybe that's what happens. I mean, it would be great to get it now against some of these tougher teams. But I also think early January, that Knicks-to-Knicks stretch, there's a good chance we just see him catch fire against some you know pretty bad defense. Uh, and then just really not only make the case for All-Star... For himself which i think he still probably makes it right now and if he has a great january he probably is you know, a shoe in probably yeah but uh it, it could really swing a lot of these games if he just starts you know if he throws together a couple of 40 point games uh and just leads phoenix to win a couple of these games that's something that could kind of be a game changer
0: for them let's hope so fingers crossed for that for sure
1: mm-hmm. all right david anything else or are you ready for seven seconds or less
0: i'm ready to throw you some questions max Let's do it. Seven
1: seconds or less is the segment where one of us asks the other three questions for which the other has seven seconds or less to answer and has not prepared. David, I am ready.
0: All right, Max, we are heading into the Christmas and New Year, so I'm going to lean into that for the theme of seven seconds or less today. First up, time to make the Christmas list, Max. If you could ask Santa for one thing for the sons for the rest of the year, what would it be? Health. Yep. Love it. Little side note question. Do you remember a sweet basketball gift as a kid? Sons related or not?
1: Mm. Oh, I mean, the easy answer here is the day, uh, I think I was five years old, when my dad took me outside and surprised me that I, we now had a basketball
0: hoop in our, in our front yard. Love it. That is great. I think everyone listening probably has one of those memories themselves. But question two, I think I filled you in last year on what we call Boxing Day here, Max. Do you remember that conversation? Mm-hmm. I know what Boxing Day is because my mom actually lived in Australia for seven years, so but I do remember that conversation as well. There you go. So we often have uh, Black Friday-type sales on Boxing Day, which for no one or anyone who didn't hear that conversation or, or doesn't know it here in Australia is the 26th of December, day after Christmas is what we call Boxing Day. So the question is... Which son has been the best value for money so far this season, Max?
1: Mm, great question. Comes down to
0: either Aaron Baines or Dario. I, I'm going to go with Dario because of uh, the fact that he stayed healthy and played the whole season. Love it. And question three, I know uh, you know everyone around the world either it falls into New Year's resolutions or doesn't, Max. Hmm. What's the one thing this team has or hasn't done in the first third of the season? That you'd like to see them change for the rest of it. Hmm, that's a really good question.
1: I, I think it. And early on, we had this. We haven't had it lately. I think a resolution to get back to the defense they were playing. were you know they're not, they're not. You know, inherently good defenders. A lot of them, but they at least were getting in the right spots. They were playing on a string on defense. That's fallen off a lot in a lot of these games. Mm-hmm. I would love to see them get back to that. Like we saw it a little bit in the first half of the Charlotte game, and then it totally went away. I want. I want to see them playing
0: like that uh, again. Yeah, Monty's made reference to it a couple of times, and even said that that's kind of on him to get him back to that. So yeah, uh, that'll be interesting to see. Have you ever had a New Year's resolution, Max? Good or otherwise?
1: Uh, I'm sure I have had them. You know, they're one of those things that uh, that you know you always make and, and, and don't adhere to. <laughs> if I'm going to make one this season, though, it's going to be to to stop getting angry over losses. And then some losses and not get angry during the games. Like God, we all have to remember, guys. This is just sports. We gotta stop getting angry, so angry about it. It, it sucks. It's disappointing. You want your team to be good, but. At the end of the day, you know, it's not impacting your life, actually. So that's
0: a, I, I got to stop getting so angry. <laughs> that's a very good point to end this segment. And pretty much the episode before we jump into signing off and, and giving a few people a shout-out here, Max.
1: Yeah, so uh, for everybody listening, please rate, review, and subscribe. We really appreciate it. You can follow me at maximsvc 11 You can follow David at The 4-Point Play.
0: David, you alluded to some stuff we want to talk about with reviews. Yeah, just a shout-out to uh, Cody Devante and Stephen t uh for giving us comments and reviews on youtube uh we put all the episodes up on youtube so good to see people uh interacting with us that way and then on itunes where we ask for it we've seen uh a few five stars come through and just the one review so uh by mahomes we trust who says best sons pod great stuff short and sweet uh, but we love getting all reviews from everyone. So shout out to Mahomes. We trust, Max.
1: Absolutely. We love it, anything. You can comment with literally just a period or something. We're fine with it. As long as it's five stars. <laughs> as long as it's five stars, we're good. But uh, yeah, that's it for us. Thanks, everybody. We'll be back probably next week. We'll see. Christmas is this week. But uh David has some time off, so we'll probably be able to find the time.
0: Yeah, happy holidays to everyone. And as you said, hopefully we'll sneak in one more episode before 2020 hits us, Max. Yep, I'm hoping so. Thanks, guys.